We just had Kenneth Tanner on. Kenneth Tanner. I really like him because he brings different streams of the faith together. And so he's also very, very smart. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview. Yeah, he uh, is very close to Chris Green. Yeah. And reminded me of interviewing Chris. I was way out of my league. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he did talk about scripture, though. He talked about how to approach scripture. Yeah, it was a, it was a great interview. Yeah, I, so. I appreciated that every part of this was, was about the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's one area that he has a great grace on his life is uh, whether you grew up in the Methodist tradition or Eastern Orthodox, yeah. uh, he is able to connect the dots. Yeah. He has a great value for the church at large, and that lens was basically how he approached everything was through that lens. Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of fun. Hope we you did. guys enjoy it. Kenneth, one of the things I like about your work is that different streams of the faith seem to really like the kind of things you're saying. And I think in our day and age, we what we're finding is that there is a desire for unity in the body of Christ and how there are streams that are coming together that hadn't come together in the past. And it's absolutely vital for me. Yeah. And so I would love if we could start there talking about a little bit of that. Of Are you noticing that, that too, that there are different streams of the faith that are coming together in ways that they haven't come before? Yeah, I mean, you know, for 100 years now, the church has been coming together in ways that it hadn't been before. I mean, historically, it really started on the mission field where people were from various churches were finding that even though their denominations may have had differences, um, you know, about baptism or Eucharist or the way they do worship on Sunday morning, some of the beliefs, they shared a common mission you know, for Jesus, and began to worship together and pray together and read scripture together, you know. And, uh, of course, the Pentecostal movement, which gave birth to the charismatic renewal, uh, was also a major force for humanism. You had this, these people, the spiritual gifts and an emphasis on the Spirit of God uh, that happened in Catholicism, the Episcopal Church, the Orthodox Church, Presbyterian Church, the Baptist Church. I mean, it hit all those different churches in different ways, but it also was bringing, you know, that's you start in the early 20th century with the missionary movements and maybe late 19th century. And then you, mid, by the mid 20th century, you've got this charismatic renewal that's hitting and bringing people together um, around the spirit. And, uh, you know, then there's more toward the late 20th century, people like Richard John Newhouse and um, and Chuck Colson bringing the evangelicals and Catholics together movement um, with what they called the new ecumenism, which was, uh, you know, uh, we're not going to get all of these theological issues straightened out, but at least we can start talking about them. And it's right. important to, in the meantime, see each other as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. My own personal journey in this has to do with the fact that I was raised a Pentecostal. I, my parents, uh, by the time we were teenagers, took us into the charismatic renewal. I went to, you know, the first charismatic, probably arguably the only university founded within the charismatic movement, Earl Roberts. I spent much of my early adult life involved directly in the new ecumenism by being on staff at, at Touchstone Magazine in Chicago, which brought together okay. Catholics and Orthodox and evangelicals. So my my life story is a, a story about you know Christians coming together, but but for me, it really started taking up picking up steam in my you know my thirties, uh, my late twenties, early thirties, and it, it was 
above all things a, a way of like let's let's read scripture together um, that's good scripture was so important i mean like i had never read john 6 you know I, I, there's a part of i didn't see the bread of life discourse as related to the lord's supper uh this yeah. you know unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you have no part in me until i started reading john 6 with joe fessio who was you know a, a roman catholic jesuit a priest and he helped me see that there was something as a Pentecostal I'd never seen, you know, reading that text. So it, it, it's a scriptural journey, um, uh, uh, you know, reading the text of scripture with the whole church and not okay. just like finding all the different contemporary churches and joining in their reading of scripture, but recognizing that the church has been reading the scriptures for 20 centuries. So uh, you know, there are second, we have a lot of documentation of second and third century Jewish Christian readers of the text um, that we could, um, we could listen to what they have to say too. So as um, Chesterton said, it's the, it's the living faith of the dead. Um, so we are one with them in Christ and we can hear how they're reading the scriptures. And, and I think it's very important that we do that. Yeah. Um, and, but also with our contemporary brothers and sisters, um, the illustration that I use, I borrow from Irenaeus and his thinking about uh, what the faith is. He uses the illustration of, a, of an ancient mosaic. So they would build these um, mosaic floors in one, one location. You would paint the images on the stones and, and then lay them out on the floor. You turn the stones over and put a what they call a hypothesis on the back of the stones. And that was what you used. You created up all the stones, uh, the tiles, and you shipped them from wherever you had huh. made them to some other place. And then the right. hypothesis told you how to put it back together. So what Irenaeus says is that the heretics, you know, get the hypothesis wrong and you, you, you scramble the image and you come up with the image of a fox or the image of a... Right. And, and, you know, but when we, re when we arrange the scriptures and we order the scriptures in the right way, uh, we see the image of, of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and what I extend that a little bit and say that I never really started seeing everything about Jesus until I started praying with Orthodox Christians, um, especially the Eastern, being a Western Christian, reading scripture with the Eastern Christians, praying with Eastern Christians, entering into their space of worship, praying mm -hmm. those ancient prayers with them, um, living with and talking with them. And, and, and you can, you know, I could say this is about Roman Catholics. I could say this is about right. uh, Methodists. Right. Of a number of partners in, in from Methodism, um, certainly the Anglican tradition that I hail from, and, and now and yeah. uh, others. I have learned to read Scripture with the whole church, and it wasn't until I started really being in experiential relationship with other Christians that I saw the whole picture of Jesus. And that's been a very scriptural journey focused in reading the scriptures together um when we do that i think we see everything it's like uh, people talk about the divisions in the church as if god intended them i don't think god intended them i think god works around human envy and human pride and, and human error and, mm -hmm. and and everything that's brought about the divisions to um okay so you're divided from each other well i'll give a little bit of this <laughs> a little myself here, a little myself there. And the only way you're really going to see the big picture is if you lay down all your parochialism, lay, lay down your narrow view and start to, yeah, be in connection with other Christians. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. I was reading something you posted on, uh, on Twitter the other day, how you were excited about what was happening in your church. 
that you were reading every page of scripture for the presence of Jesus. And that really stood out to me because the language itself, uh, the presence of Jesus is, is something that the Pentecostal Jason could get, but I think it's way bigger than that. Just me personally, uh, the upbringing I had where you read the Bible literally, where you were told what it meant and, uh, and anyone that didn't agree with that, uh, that perspective, you had this, this real us and them that took place in the church, forget, forget anything else. And what you're sharing is uh, a fuller perspective on how to approach scripture. Uh, could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, when we talk about the scriptures, um, we usually mean the old Testament I and mean, the first Christians, when they use the word, the scriptures, they were talking about the Hebrew Bible, the, the, the old Testament, um, the uh, Septuagint, really. Um, yeah. And so I, I think it's important to to recognize that the first Christians didn't have the letters of Paul or the Gospels um, yeah. or, you know, the letters of the other apostles in a bound book, you know, that everybody called uh, the Bible. The Bible is a very, um, as we have it, it, first of all, bound, available in, uh, in, 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 in a language that most people in the pews can understand is a very yeah. recent development yeah. in Christian history. So that there are millions of Christians who lived exemplary Christian lives of witness and martyrdom and connection with Jesus and mm. praise to him and lament and, and are just amazing light who, who didn't have a, a, a Bible yeah, that they, right. in their yeah. hand that they could read. <laughs> yeah. So this, is, this alone has to be, so we have to back up and state some more obvious things because we understand our existence as so like, oh, I can just pick up any, like I can pick up 10 different versions of the Bible in this house right, right, I'm yeah. living in and understand yeah. all of them. Uh, one of the reasons why iconography and art is so fluent in, in, in the, in the first, among the first Christians is because there's a lot of illiterate people, you know? Right. So, so a lot of these things were handed down earlier. They heard the scriptures and the preaching and so forth and so on. But, but uh, when they, they talk about the scriptures, they're, they're talking about the old Testament and, you know, somebody like Irenaeus, you know, writes a book, uh, you know, um, one of his uh, first first books that he writes is um, a, a book about uh, reading the scriptures in the Old Testament in light of the person of Jesus. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. so everywhere yeah. he's reading these stories, the story you're bringing up was I was preaching this last Sunday on the story of Jacob's Ladder, you know, where Jacob is you know, deceived his father, stolen the inheritance from Esau, right. lied and, and thieved, and he's on the run. He's out in the middle of nowhere, isolated from his family and everyone else. And he has this vision of a ladder, you know, with messengers yeah. ascending and descending upon. I, so I was curious, like, how did the first Christians read this text? Mm. And I'd actually never really see, I'd never seen this until I started looking at this uh, text this last week. In preparation, but many of the first Christian preachers and writers saw Jesus present in that uh, story, God present in that story, in a place other than by the ladder, wow. I mean, out, outside the vision, right? There yeah. is a vision of God, and he, yeah. he identifies himself as the God of his father and, yeah. and the God of his grandfather, later to be also added to that list of people that God names himself after, Jacob. Um, names himself after a, a thief and a, and a cheat. Um, and um, here, if you're looking closely, Jesus is there in the act, the story before the dream. It's the stone wow. that, he, that he lays his head on. 
Um, You know, the stone that the builders rejected, the, you know, the rock that accompanied the children of Israel Mm -hmm. through their sojourn in the wilderness, which Paul says was Christ. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this way of reading the scriptures is right there in the New Testament. It's not a, not just development of the Christian church after the apostles, the apostles were reading the scriptures in this way. That's so, so good. Every every time we're looking at a text like that, we're looking for uh, Jesus. Um, we yeah. see the oftentimes the angel of the Lord um, is Jesus in in, mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. There's that amazing story uh, that uh, I think you might have mentioned, or at least maybe mentioned in the notes when we were talking about doing the show was uh you know the story of the three visitors yeah um to you know to abraham and sarah in which you know isaac jacob's father is promised to them and uh you know it's interesting the eastern church really sees that as jesus with two angels um you also have people seeing um the father the son and the the spirit together in that moment and so uh yeah I, i just think that everywhere when we look for christ and we bring him as our rabbi in reading the text that we're going to see, we're going to see what it's, we, we have to, um, I, I actually um, got this from Chris Green. We were mentioning him before we came on. I, I think Chris Green is one of the finest theologians and scripture scholars in the in English speaking world right now. Yeah. <laughs> and he was talking about um, how, when we read the text um, at the surface level, it is like we've still got the stone over the tomb of Jesus Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it, and when we get to the spiritual reading underneath the literal reading of the text, mm-hmm. when we're reading it with Jesus in our heart and mind, we have removed the stone and mm-hmm. are beginning to experience resurrection. Yeah. Um, so we That's want good. to, we have to get below the literal to the, which is, I mean, it needs to be there. The literal is important sure. too. Um, but we also want to be reading at the spiritual level, at this figural level um, and seeing Jesus. I believe that that's Gregory of Nyssa who talks about, you know, the, the literal sense is, you know, the lowest, the, the stone, right? That's over yeah. the yeah. tomb. And yeah. when we get to the spiritual, we've we've rolled the stone. Yeah, line, that's man. good. Brad came on, and I don't know if it's the same person you're referring to, but he said, I think Maximus, a confessor, said that literalism. I, that's who it was. That's who it was. It's Maximus, yeah. not Gregory. Thank you. That that literalism is kind of even though we value it as not just in the Christian world, but just. In the world in general, we value like facts in our thinking brains so much. So we gravitate towards literalism. But Maximus talks about how that's actually the lowest level of of reading scripture. Yeah, Um, it's important. It's it's there. It's I mean, we're we're talking about um, things that happened in the actual world. And, you know, Jacob was a a real person um, who existed in time. And uh, he he was exiled for his family. And then he goes out to the wilderness. He has this vision. So those parts of it are important as well. There's a freedom yes. that comes in reading the text in this way. Not every line of scripture has the same importance in answering <laughs> the question, yeah. who is God? Yeah. If every line of scripture has the same level of importance and disclosive power 
in mm. describing God, who God is, then we would never be able to harmonize all of these mm. yeah, that's witnesses good. about God. In, in fact, we know if we're looking at a text like Job, that there are actually misrepresentations of God yeah. that are yeah. happening within the text itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so if we literalize or if we quote a, a passage of scripture out of context, yeah. um, we can begin to end up with a God that's monstrous. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, and that's what I grew up grew up with at times, this yeah. intellectual disparity between, you know, pastor would say God is good. The pre people would say all the time. And then the pastor would say all the time and the people would say God is good. And then he'd go on to preach Job in a way that uh, confused me. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have to bring Jesus along. Yeah. Read, read these texts. And yeah. um, which is, is not to say that um, there's not judgment in the Old Testament or, or hard things or things that bewilder mm. or confuse us. I think that those things are there in order for us to wrestle with our own ideas inside about who God is yeah um and uh to come to realize who God is in Jesus yeah and that where judgment is present that Jesus reveals that judgment is about our salvation judgment is about our renewal judgment is about our healing judgment is about our perfection judgment is about our refining and not about Mm -hmm. our destruction yeah. And, and that's, if that's, that's the case for, for all um, yeah. wow. human beings. So. Amen. That'll we welcome, that. we welcome that, that aspect of who God is because it's a, because he's God is love and love doesn't seek to destroy what love makes love. Not only doesn't seek to destroy what, what, what he makes, he becomes what he makes. Um, <laughs> yeah. In order to, um, to redeem us. This is for us, you know, rethinking God. The, the whole purpose is, is that we would start in love and that every attribute of God finds its, its starting place, its, its, its description, its, our understanding there. So, so then you can, like you said, there's such freedom when Jesus is, if you will, the hermeneutic, or he is uh, what you're looking for, the presence of Jesus. You're looking for him in every page. When that's the place, there's so much freedom. You know, for me personally, I'm not, I'm not an academic. I get to hang out with them. I get to talk to them. Uh, I'm not wired in such a way. I can't even remember 10 road names and I've lived in this town for 16 years. It's just, uh, it's not my fault. But I I have the great freedom, even even as a a non-academic, to be able to go back and read Job and live in the question. For me, one of the ways I would navigate is, uh, I don't know, but he's good. He looks like Jesus. I don't know, but he's good was a safe way for me to go. I can read Job. And if Job is saying one thing about God that seems in conflict with what Jesus revealed, I will live in the tension of not understanding what's going on in Job and not allow that to undermine what Jesus revealed. And like you said, so much freedom then to be able to read scripture and to be able to parse through it and then to be able to talk with somebody and not be afraid when they tell me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, you, you, no need to beat up on Job. Job's a great book. Yeah. Um, but I, but, there you uh, go. Uh, but, but there's... Um, but it scared me when no, I was no, younger. No, no doubt. But I mean, you, you can open that book, right? And just start reading it and recognize right away that you're dealing with something that's not to be taken literally. God does not play dice with human <laughs> lives or yeah. bargain or negotiate with Satan about 
uh, a human good. beings, you know, life. Right. So right away, you're supposed to go, I wonder what this is then. What, uh -huh. what is this trying to communicate to us? Instead of reading it literally and go, oh, um, you know, Satan can show up in, you know, in, in the throne room anytime he wants and start talking right. to God and bargaining right. about mm. my life. Well, <laughs> that's, that's, that's nonsense. Not, that's nonsense. So yeah. then, so then how do we, how do we approach this text? You know, how do we yeah. read that? And that's when the good stuff starts happening. Um, and, um, and I believe, um, and you should have Chris, Chris on here to talk about this. He's a real expert, but I, you know, it, all of these stories and all of these prophecies and all this history are there and God inspires um, all of this human witness as a way for us to get to who he is. Mm, right. Good. And that's a, yeah. that's a pro that's a process um, of questioning what I'm reading and listening to what I'm reading in community with others, the that's dead so and community <laughs> with my brothers and sisters. We do a practice called Lectio on Tuesdays and Fridays in our community where we, you know, take a text of scripture. We, we read it out loud. We sit in two for two minutes in silence, then we ask a series of questions. We do that in three rounds with three different versions of the same text, usually from one of the Sunday readings. Um, and that, that listening, both listening to the silence, listening to God, listening to the text, then listening to how everybody, as we go around the room and talk about, respond to the questions that we've asked, how everybody's responding to the text. This is the way we handle scripture. Mm, that's good. It's mm. not, it's not, you know, the Bible is not a book that was written for individuals. It's it's written for, uh, the, it's written for humanity. Um, mm. It belongs to humanity as a revelation of, of, of God. It's not just, it, just like everything else um, where we have a tendency to think about me and God, and yes. me and the Bible, and, and it's a, salvation is social. The scriptures yes. are social. Salvation is uh, corporate. You know? mm. I, I'd love to just ask you about that, because I think one of the things we're noticing in um, probably the circles that, that I'm a part of, and the just is a part of, is in Western evangelicalism, there is, a, there is an individualism, uh, and I'm not just trying to say bad things about uh, in evangelicalism, they're still my tribe. I still find, like, I love my group of people. But yeah. one of the things that I've noticed is that it, it is very individualistic, right? So it becomes yeah. about, um, I think Merton said, my own personal salvation project, you know, like me me and Jesus. And and what you're talking about is the social ramifications of that. What, could you speak a little to that in, in regards to our, maybe our cultural moment with what's happening in the world today? But what are the ramifications then of not thinking about it through uh, individualistic lens? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to highlight an evangelical who we need to honor this week, a man named Jim Packer. Uh, yeah. Jim yeah. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. Um, I think it's important that we listen to, there are evangelicals, just like there are Orthodox, and there are Baptists and Presbyterians that we need to listen to. Um, yes. And uh, Jim was one of those. It had, had a tremendous heart relationship with God. I remember worshiping with him once and um, I noticed that he had his palm raised upward, um, mm -hmm. his right palm, and just slightly elevated, not that anyone could see it, but off of his lap, yeah. the entire service. Yeah. Um, and I asked about it afterwards, what's that about? And he said, I just want to stay attentive wow. and receptive to the living God. 
wow. um, in worship. And that was the practice that he used to do wow. that. Um, here was someone who really understood. In fact, he gave me a essay for the festival we did for Tom Oden. Um, Chris Hall and I did for InterVarsity. It was a collection of essays honoring a mentor in our life, um, Thomas Clark Oden, the Methodist theologian of tremendous power and grace. Wow. Um, <laughs> he gave me an essay and for that collection. You know, here's an evangelical who understood that 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 Jim Packer who understood that his life with Jesus was not solitary. His mm. life with Jesus was something that he was in with other people, whether right. it was in a Bible study, home group, mm. Bible studies that he frequently participated in everywhere, or going to conferences and meetings and talking about Jesus like he did so beautifully, or um, attending the Anglican churches that he was a part of, participating in the charismatic renewal. This was a man of the whole church and understood that he was part of something that was an organism, a body, yes. uh, of which he was a member, you know, mm. and um, a household, you know. Um, all the language that the New Testament uses is plural. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> Paul, every time he uses the word you, almost every time he uses the word you, he's talking about the group. Yeah. Um, mm, you know, but incredible. we can read it in our, you know, kind of modern parlance. We see the word you and we think he's talking directly to us. He's now he mean when he uses that oftentimes when he uses the word you, he's addressing he means you guys, you you right. all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but we don't hear it that way. You know, this was a personal encounter, a corporate encounter. Um, Pentecost teaches us this. Almost all the stories of scripture. Yes, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Yes, Jesus encounters the woman at the well, um, and so forth and so on. There is this, you know, very beautiful personal dimension uh, yeah. to faith. But but the 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 lion's share throughout the scriptures of the encounter of people with God is for the family, for the tribe, for the nation, um, and then eventually, of course, uh, for the whole world. You know. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's good. One of the things that I'm just fascinated by right now and where I spend a lot of my time writing and, and is the Lord's Prayer, but it's the one that Jesus prayed, not the one that uh, we call the Lord's Prayer. It's, the, it's where he was talking to his disciples. And he said, I pray that you would be one just as we yeah. are one, just as I'm in the Father, the Father's John in me. 17. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah. So that the whole world would know. Would know. The whole yeah. world would know it. I, I I would love that. I mean, that feels like that's what you're speaking to, man. I I would love yeah. you. You guys know Rich Villados. He he was talking yeah. about this. He was talking about this the other day, where you know it's it's um it's it's not my father, you know. It's our father. It's it's our father. <laughs> yeah. You know? Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, and 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 Jesus doesn't. I mean, Jesus says my father, and he's in a unique place to do that. But um, even Jesus and his use uh, of the language is very, it's always together. We're together yeah. 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 in this, um, yeah. whether it was the three, the three apostles, the three disciples, the 12, the, you know, the 70 and so forth and so on. It was always yeah. a, a group, a particular group starts out with a particular woman, Mary, bearing a particular man, Jesus, yeah. Yeah. who's also God, and, and a particular man, Abraham. But the yeah. intention, mm -hmm. the, 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 the intention is to bless the whole world. That's Amen. it. That's it. And you see that, you know, if you, I love what you just did there and I was seeing it uh, where it starts with, you know, it's Jesus, it's the three, it's the 12, it's, 
as it spreads out, you've got 10 years into, into the early church and suddenly Peter's having, uh, you know, he's having open visions and, and suddenly realizing that it's not just the Jewish people, but it's the world. And, and I feel like that is the gospel. Is, is, yeah, is, it took is, him a minute to figure that out. It did, you know? didn't it? <laughs> and that's okay. I mean, that's okay. Yeah. We're human beings. Yep. And it takes us time. I think this has to happen in every generation. We have to, we, we have to get out of our self-centeredness and see that there's something beyond ourselves that we transcend yeah. the self. That's what, that's what the cross is about. That's what um, life in Christ is about, um, is a, a kind of self-forgetting for the whole, for, for everyone, so you know? And so you were asking, I think it was, you were asking like, what does that mean for us today? I, I think one of the things I could say about that, we could say a lot of things about it, but one thing we could say is that this is a tragedy that the church is in a situation right now because of this virus and the way that we're, that we can't gather in the ways that we're normally um, able to as human beings yeah. Yeah. and how important it is to gather at a table and have fellowship together at the table and in a church structure where you're not participating, but just observing, you're just an audience member. um, It's easy to translate worship from a in-person setting to a televised setting. Although I argue that even that form of worship gets old apart from interpersonal connection but it's when when the service itself is centered around people actually gathering in, in the world around a table and take, eating bread and wine together, right. drinking wine together, is the center focus of Christian worship as it has been for yes. 20 centuries now. Not the majority practice in America, but uh, or let me say this, not the majority practice in the circles in which the three of us grew up in, sure. but, but certainly the majority practice of Christians throughout the centuries and even around the world today is that you gather for a meal, um, which is impossible to do. It's very hard to have a dinner party at your house and not invite anyone um, to the dinner party. You don't have a dinner party with yourself. And so Christian worship is a dinner party and it's about being um, together. So we have an actual crisis. We have a crisis that people aren't recognizing because they think, well, I could just listen to a podcast, or, which is a good thing to do. Um, sure. We're doing a podcast right now. You know, I can watch this thing on TV or I can watch this thing on my computer yeah. or put some praise music on or whatever, and I'll make it through all this. And uh, yes, um, for a little while, but I think eventually we have to recognize that the, the, the inability to gather is a crisis and that we're going to have to, at some point, as we've begun to do here, in Michigan is, is it, how do we safely do this, whether it's outdoors, yeah. whether it's yeah. distancing, to get yeah. ourselves in communio in, in an embodied way. Yeah. Um, and, and is that s- smaller groups around bonfires and, you know, and then we, we pass the Eucharist to, to each other? Is that in outdoor settings in the field? We've been able to, we have a very small congregation. You know, we have a small building and, and we've been able to figure out by having multiple meetings, you know, gathering. Sure. But I, I do think that this idea that we can indefinitely, and I don't want to stay on this for too long, but as a pastor, <laughs> unfortunately, I'll get in a rut with this kind of thing. But <laughs> um, 
this this idea that we can the church is going to somehow be different and it's going to no longer gather in person or right, that we're right. going to transcend embodied gathering is just silly you know we're in a crisis right now we need to be as safe as we can and 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 make, keep the vulnerable safe but we also have to get to an urgency and we also have to overcome fear and be courageous but in, in ways that aren't careless we're going to do everything with caution and courage yeah. and, and, and continue to, to talk about this is not just about you and God. This is not just about you and <laughs> Jesus. Right. Yeah. This is about yeah. community. It's about yeah. embodied presence. And your love is revival. Hey guys, I'm interrupting this podcast for just a minute so I can invite you to partner with us by giving to a family story. A Family Story is a 501, a nonprofit, and it's our ministry. And it's what allows for me to produce this podcast and other regular content. We've been living this faith journey for a long time, but 2014 was when we officially stepped away from the traditional pastoring approach to full-time ministry. It's been fun. This journey has been wild. And this last year was no less faith-inducing with COVID affecting travel and speaking. And it's been good because, hey, we started a podcast. Our passion is to create content catalytic for an encounter with the always good, transforming, reconciling love of our Heavenly Father. And so our heart through this ministry has always been that through speaking, writing, film, and music, we're relentlessly sharing the goodness of our Father, the good news. Your giving goes directly to support this podcast, as well as written content, discipleship content, teaching small group messages, articles that we release weekly, and also the book I'm writing. I'm excited about what I'm chasing down right now. We appreciate all the support, whether it's sharing, writing a review, following us, signing up for our email list, or financially. We just love being on the journey with you. If you want to give to A Family Story, you can go to afamilystory.org, afamilystory.org, and click on the Give button. All right, thanks, guys. Let's get back to the podcast. heard you talk a lot about scripture and how we read how we can read scripture well but I, I would love one of the things that Jason and I have really wrestled with and wrestled through and are continuing to talk about is the importance of prayer in our lives there's been a lot of shifts right theologically spiritually for me but if I'm honest if I'm vulnerable that's I, I, I don't know that I've landed on anything on that I'm still kind of um, discovering what that what that means and so I, I would love for you to speak to that. I've heard you talk about prayer and the Christian spirituality. Yeah, um, I think we, we can start out by recognizing that the Holy Spirit has, um, the Holy Spirit, we, we see this in, in Romans, right, this week in the Sunday lectionary, that the Spirit, when we don't know what to say, mm. yeah. when we no longer know what to say, the Spirit mm. prays for That's us. Good. Romans yeah, 8, yeah. Mm. Romans 8, 25, that we have a God that knows the mind of our mm. mind, our neighbor's mind, our spouse's mind, our children's mind, the mind of our community and so forth, and knows us better than we know ourselves, mm. and also knows the mind of God, <laughs> Yeah, and so <laughs> can knows us better than we know ourselves, obviously, as God knows God, and is this mediating force within our life. So this good. is the beautiful thing. 
um, analogous to the creed that we that we confess together as Christians when we come together. Sometimes um, we we say we believe, right? Uh, there are times when um, I go in and we confess the creed, or other people go in and you're not so sure that you believe all of these <laughs> experiential things that the apostles experience and that we as baptized, those who are baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus have also come to experience. There's sometimes where some of the members of the church are carrying the other members of the church in this faith, right. you know, where others right. are struggling, right? So in the same way, the spirit is praying for us when we don't know how to pray. That's first of all. And then of course it ends up, you know, that same passage, Romans eight talks about how mm. Christ seated at the right hand of the father is mediating between, um, you know, his body and between humanity and God, all of God, you know, whatever the spirit does, Christ is doing whatever Christ is doing. The father is Mm -hmm. doing whatever the father is doing. So it's one God. So that's the first thing. The other thing is to, to understand that all of life is once we are, you know, baptized in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ can be a form of prayer. So our, mm. our, our vocation, uh, our work in the world, whatever it is we're called to do, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, Aaron says the glory of, uh, the, you know, the glory of God is a, a human being fully revealed. Of course, he's speaking of our savior, but also uh, humanity. When we know what we're called to do in the world and do yeah. it with mm, joy yeah. and gladness, yeah. this That's is beautiful. a form of, of prayer. Um, but there's also, you know, the spirit has been praying through Christians for 20 centuries and there are beautiful prayers, some of which have been preserved by the church, um, that the church has preserved specifically because they very articulately express the mind of the church in that place yeah. and time. Yeah. And when we see them, we, we, we recognize and we oh, there is Christ. Oh, there is the church. There, and we mm. join them in prayer. It's just, we, you know, we, we were probably some of... Our listeners, we certainly were all, you know, raised in places where it's not authentic prayer if it's not just like coming from the top of your head and, and spontaneously and so <laughs> right, forth and so on. Right. And sometimes that kind of prayer is extremely powerful. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. It's, you know, the spirit praying through someone and just articulating yeah. where everyone is at. But it can also just be as as vain and repetitious as sure. having something that's already written out. Um, and, uh, something that's written out, if there's no vital connection with it can also be just something you're mumbling or something you're a mantra or whatever, Mm. but these prayers also are so important and they get down into us and we can find ourselves praying. That practice I was describing earlier, Lectio, we don't start that out with a prayer or end it with a prayer. And I have, sometimes I have people who come in from more free church, you know, tradition who join that say, why aren't we praying? We are. We are. When we read the scriptures out loud, (laughs) we're listening, we're listening to God. Yeah. In Mm. the silence, as we meditate on the word of God. Yeah. Also, that is, (laughs) we're we're listening to God. Yeah. Um, When we are listening to each other, respond to the word of God. We are, that is a form of prayer. And then, of course, you know, you know, there's all kinds of things you can talk about. Prayers. My friend uh, Chris Green and I interviewed Robert Jensen, uh, was a mentor for me in my 30s, and um, Lutheran theologian, wonderful man. 
uh, and the last interview, he, he died of um, a debilitating um, neurological disorder. And Chris and I did the last interview with Jens, J-E-N-S is what everybody called him for short. And Chris asked him about petitionary prayers, is, do our prayers matter in the economy of God and in the yeah. economy of the world? Yeah. And just just, just said, of course they do. If if our prayers didn't make a difference, then why do it, you know? Um, God, we see in scriptures, what Jen says is that God invites us into his sovereign rule of the world through prayer. That's good. Mm. And and we, we can see in the scriptures where this is true, where people pray and yeah. God doesn't it's not it doesn't it changes God's mind about things it doesn't change God, but it does get into dialogue with God and things happen because yeah. we pray. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, unanswered prayer is it you know it's a difficult conundrum. Um, why why do some prayers seem to be answered and other prayers don't seem to be? I don't think that there's a really, you know, satisfying answer <laughs> to that question. I, I, I'll, I'll say this from my experience of praying for children in particular. It's very difficult when you're praying for children who are suffering in, yeah. in, in terrible ways and some of them die and some of them live. And we did a journey of prayer with a family who had a child who was born at 27 weeks um, and was in the hospital for eight months on a ventilator and almost died four or five times. And mm. in that journey, we had people coming in, family, friends, and so forth. And they would do what I call cast prayers, you know, casting prayers towards, sure, um, sure. you know, the situation, Lord, you know, heal, Lord, do this, Lord, do that. But they didn't, they weren't really entering into the pain and suffering of the family or these, yeah. the, the, the suffering of the child. When the church prays, we enter into the experience of the sufferer and the family, and the, wherever it is, and we we recognize that that God um, God is always present and God will answer. That sometimes the way God answers prayer is us by us being with people as they die, and that God is present with them as we walk through that that process of of dying that God is always participating in the suffering in a very personal and real way. Um, and as we suffer with them, um, and then sometimes there's healing like this young man we prayed for. He, he did, he, he was raised up and he runs around and does whatever he wants these days. Yeah. yeah. But eventually when he's 80 or 75 or 90, he's going to die. So we, even those who come back from, the grave have an appointment with death, um, come back from almost, you know, peering over the abyss. So ultimately, when we pray for healing, we're praying about resurrection. I mean, you know, the, the ultimate healing that has to take place in every yeah, human being's right. life is mm. the resurrection. That's right. Mm. Um, and so we're with Ezekiel waiting for God um, to blow upon the bones and the dust That's and the, fra the, you yeah. know, uh, of yeah. all of humanity and bring them back um, to to God. Uh, that that's a lot on prayer, but 
Yeah. No, that was, that's amazing. Thank you. I think there's as much power in the understanding that Jesus weeps as there is in the understanding of when he prays come forth as well. You know, that those are both Hello. powerfully true. <laughs> and, and a lot of what you're sharing kind of fits within this tweet that, um, there was something you wrote recently on online. I, I follow you on Twitter. That's and I've read several of your articles. You said we we are made in the image of of a, of a human God who is selfless, so that our identity, our truest selves, beneath the self-centered layers, is loving kindness. Like that that actually fits in what you're talking about. To me, prayer has been this in the last several years as there's been some deconstructing and some reconstructing. I mean, one of the things I didn't leave was the goodness of God which was often attached to my prayers based on my understanding of how they, how they were answered. Um, but, but the other thing that I've discovered in prayer is that I'm, I am coming into an understanding of my truer self. Mm. Uh, as I, as I connect with him, as I step into the moment, I'm actually awakening to that, that part of me that is made in the image and likeness wow. of God. Uh, and then is able to release love and kindness regardless of what we're looking at circumstantially. Um, yeah. Amen. I think that's a powerful thing. I, I would love you to speak to how you, how did, how did you come to that place of image and likeness of God, our identity being uh, love and kindness? It's the story of Jesus. I think this is where we have to start, right? Um, with everything. Uh, God makes the world. God loves the world that God makes. That's good. <laughs> um, that's, that's right. Yeah. God, God makes the world and he loves the world that he makes. Mm. Um, he, wow. including humans, you know, um, <laughs> the high, it, it, he says, he says, in fact, very good. Yes, he over, does. Over yeah. us. Not just good. Uh, very not just good. good, but very good. That's right. Um, this is the core of every human. The, the core identity of every human is the image of God. That's good. Which cannot be taken from any human being. Colson Eatson on the laying on the straw um, in, in the cancer ward um, yeah. under under the Stalinists uh, wasting away says that uh, you know there's there's the smallest beachhead of goodness even in the most vile human being wow. and even in the saints there's this little that there's this evil that's there too right and right. So, um, but the core identity of every human being is not their sin, but the image of God. That's good. Mm. We walk away from love. We walk away from the community of the world. And if we believe the Apostle Paul in Romans, that we sowed chaos into creation and into existence because of our rebellion from the divine life. This happens subsequent to God making the world and loving yeah. the world that he makes. Then we know that God loves us even while we are <laughs> rebelling against God and walking yeah. away from him and denying his existence and, and all the ways that we, we can respond to the love of God. God still loves us. Mm. Yeah. And God decides yeah. to become what he makes. Hmm. Um, he, he doesn't become a mountain. He doesn't become a flower. He doesn't become a zebra. He becomes human Yes. and forever identifies himself with the human race by being a member of the human race yeah. and the son of God. So that, um, and, and not only that, but he has decided, and we see this all throughout his entire life, not just at the cross, that in his baptism, 
he, Bonhoeffer's really good on this. He sees everyone going down into the waters to be baptized by John. And he decides in the moment that he is not, he, you know, he does not want to be the only perfect human being. You know, he also descends into the waters of baptism, taking upon himself the sin of the whole world and uh, participates in the baptism of John. Yeah. As a, he's sinless, and what he's standing there, of course, you know, a lot of the iconography, you see the, see, you know, the demons, you know, you know, in the waters, the dark waters of the Jordan and so forth. He descends into the chaos, right? And the yeah. spirit of God falls upon him, and we hear the majestic voice of the Father from heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And this and so many other places, the triune God shows up and you know yeah. not the trinity's yeah. not there but the trinity is there yeah, or trinity's right. not in the scripture but the trinity is everywhere that's right in the text father son and holy spirit you know that's jen right. used to say that it doesn't matter you can pick up any 20 lines of paul 40 lines of paul and he's going to touch the three bases father son and spirit he's mm, everywhere so good. yeah in that moment god reveals his that this is a son in whom he's well pleased you know mm. that he is He's identified with his sinful brothers and sisters and, and said, hey, I'm with you. That's I'm good. with you against Satan and every accuser of humanity. Mm -hmm. I'm with you against every voice that's ever been spoken into your mind or heart that says you're not mine. I am ag I, I'm standing with you against even the accusations of your own heart. That's good. Uh, toward yourself. I'm standing in solidarity with you. And he takes that all the way to the cross and goes down. Uh, Athanasius says he sees us falling, not just into death and the grave, but all the way past the grave, falling into non-existence. The only way God can save us is to become one of us and to fall with us mm. and to fall below the lowest falling human being in order to raise us all back up into the divine life. And so it's not just a return to Eden that's foreseen, but a return past the garden into mm. the divine life where we become participants as embodied humans wow. in the life that God has. So it's a, wow. it's a, a, wow. it's a restoration and a healing that takes us beyond um, our perfectibility in yeah. the garden um, not our per perfection in the garden, but our perfectibility in the garden to participation in the divine life. Wow. So if that's the story of God and that's the story <laughs> of humanity. So imagine this is just a little line that I wrote a while ago, but, but that I still, I think applies. Imagine Satan's sense of checkmate. He gets all humanity to turn away from God to walk away from love, which is, that's the divine name. Yeah. And then God becomes one of us. <laughs> God becomes human. Yeah. You get all of humanity to walk away. And yeah. so God's answer is to become yeah. human. Checkmate. Right? Checkmate. <laughs> take, take this in. God does not become what God hates. Mm. Right. Right? Wow. Why? God doesn't become what God hates. God yeah. becomes what God loves. God does not, God does not become what is not good. Wow. Yeah. God <laughs> cannot become what is not good. That's mm. amazing. Yeah. God does not give up on what he becomes. Mm. <laughs> he cannot give up. That's good. On humanity. Good. Wow. So Man. if we, if we just sit 
there, right? And we began to live lives by the Spirit, not by our own effort, um, by grace, that, that speak this revelation of God and of humanity found in the person of Jesus. God has all the time in the world to renew us, all the time in the world to renew um, uh, the world. So we've we just got to get back to telling the story well. We haven't been telling the story very well. Um, and we, <laughs> That's we, good. Were, we were raised in communities that weren't telling the story very well. God still loves and God's still redeeming. And, and God's going to perfect along with us. There's no perfect church because I'm a member of... <laughs> Uh, every church that might That's exist. Good. Well, you, you made the comment, the law can't make someone moral. And I yeah. think there's so much there. Some of those, those tablets they used to give you to chew as you're a kid um, that showed like where you hadn't brushed your teeth very well. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I think the law functions a lot like that on human nature. It's a dye that reveals its only function. Paul is trying to say to us is to reveal where we're not participating in love which is my definition of sin. Any, yeah. any, any time we're not participating in love, that's sin. It yeah. is able to highlight where we're not in love with God and with our neighbor. That's but true. it's not able to save us. This is something that is, I mean, if we had a society where nobody, everybody was honoring their parents, nobody was killing anyone. Right, right. No one was envying anyone, anything. Nobody was coveting mm. anything that any belonged. Nobody was bearing false witness, which is the besetting yeah. sin of American of Americans in general, is that our whole society is crumbling because we we uh, are ha- habitually addicted to bearing false witness against right. everyone. Right. Wow. Um, if we lived in a culture in which all of that was not happening, we, we'd be in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, you yeah. know, mm, yeah. but it, it does it doesn't have the power to convert us. What Paul realizes is that there's a human who has lived a life of complete communion with the goodness and beauty of truth of God Mm. and who invites us as a gift into the life he lived so that Mm. his life from his human life from conception through death, resurrection and ascension to the right hand, God, his ongoing life as a human being in flesh and bones at the right hand of the father as a participation in that entire movement of life, by grace as a gift. So that's, that's just ours. Um, That is, there's a process by which we experience conversion to that life. Um, In this life, some people believe also, you know, in the life after this life, um, that there's a process of affection into that life. Uh, But uh, that's all a gift. That's all grace. We, you know, we step into, um, the work that God has already done um, on our That's behalf. Good. That's really mm-hmm. good. I don't know if you've heard of Tim Mackey and the Bible Project and the kind of work that they're doing. No, they do. Not. They do. Uh, they do these educational videos um, on different books of the Bible, uh, but they also tackle uh-huh. certain biblical topics. But Tim is a, a PhD. Like he did, he did uh, his whole thing on Hebrew. And anyways, they, they make a good pair because one of them is creative and the other one's kind of a theology nerd. Right but, um, but he, he said something once about, about the law being God's willingness to actually submit to 
however people could hear him um and yes. in, the, in the old testament his his ultimate willingness to submit and what you see is there are there are bits and pieces of jesus and the trinity and and spirituality but that ultimately the law could not do what they were asking it to do but it's jesus willingness to actually submit to submit our to. world yeah yeah and chris would chris green takes us a, a bit further too and just says that he's willing to submit even to our misunderstanding yeah. of of, of <laughs> yeah. who god is and yeah. inspires out of that misunderstanding right um, right a, 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 a conversation in which we begin to understand yeah um better who, who god is that culminates in Mary's be it unto me according to your word. And, mm. and then the word of God, Jesus, the word that God has to speak shows up in, in flesh and, yeah. Yeah. and, yeah. and yeah. walks around um, yeah. as the word of God. Um, yeah, that's it, judging every other word about God. I think it was John Paul II who says that every word and action of Jesus in the Gospels allows us to eavesdrop on the eternal life and conversation that he shares forever with the wow. Father and the Spirit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And good. so th those stories and those words are the, 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 both help us, and you know, the, the apostles um, and their experience of Jesus help us to understand those words and actions. Um, and the prophets uh, and the historians and the poets of the Old Testament help us to to see the one who who is coming, and um, and and Christ also helps us to understand their words in light of Himself. Uh, it's wow. a beautiful yeah. interchange. Yeah, Baxter says, uh, "What does a good God do? But he becomes flesh." He yeah, Baxter's so great steps into the narrative uh, it's uh, for me it's an easy conversation to have i'm a dad and uh you learn how to speak to your two-year-old and then you learn how to speak to your three-year-old and you get inside their understanding so that you can connect with them so that you can raise them to a, a better understanding so god doesn't isn't obsessed about what we think about god and yeah um, <laughs> like it's an analogous to our children we, we don't care we, we don't walk around obsessed about what our children right. if we're healthy yeah. Yeah. we don't walk around <laughs> obsessed right. about what our children think of us that's in right. fact in, in various moments of our life if we're good parents they might be a kind of a little Upset. suffering a little bit under <laughs> under who we are and then there are other times where you know they're just really really happy with us or whatever but but if we have a you know if we're, we're mature at all we're not, you know, basing our love or basing our affection or basing our relationship yeah. or communion or connection with our children based on what thoughts they have. That's right. Um, yeah. About yeah. us. So. I grew up with a song that was, it was a beautiful song. I used to sing uh, to Jesus that, and I'm desperate for you. And it uh, was a wonderful interaction yeah. I have. But, but at the end of the day, as a dad, if I had my kids following me around singing that song, something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, the last thing I want as a father is them being desperate for me in that way. But but I'll step yeah. into that desperation. I will step yeah. into that. Right on. And meet them there. But man, I, I we're so grateful that you've been here. Uh, we we call this rethinking God with tacos. Yeah. We got to ask you about tacos. Yeah. Man. Do you I mean, have a favorite taco or favorite taco place? Well, I'll just say tacos are my favorite food. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, it's, nice. It's not even close. <laughs> So, um, 
And oh, here's the problem. I spent 20 years in California, Southern California. Oh, that's the real deal. And I got absolutely ruined. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and now a little place. Michigan. There's a little place in San Clemente where we spent most of our most of our years. Um, southern tip of Orange County, a um, little place called La Siesta. They have the most amazing carnitas and and oh. salsa and Oof. things. And before we moved there, uh, we we got married. I, I went to high school, went to college, got married. And we had six of our seven children in California. So we spent 20 years there, and I, when we left, our children were, you know, um, about 11 and under the six that we had, and okay. there was no way I told the owners of La Siesta, there's no way that I'm going to leave California without getting that salsa recipe from you guys. <laughs> so by hook and by crook, the brothers ended up giving me the whole recipe. One of the brothers oh, only gave me part of it, whoa. and then the other brother... The other brother goes, oh, okay, Father Ken, here's the rest of the, I call it, I call it athe- atheism cure salsa. Oh my gosh. <laughs> because one bite there's a God. and you'll know that there's a God. <laughs> so it, it cures atheism. It's so good. We've been making it, we've been making it at home for 20 years now because it's been 20 years now, unbelievably, since we left. Wow um you know california and um but uh, last yesterday now michigan is not like they think that they have good mexican food like you you get here and it's like you know oh yeah here's a good mexican place and as a family we would go and we'd be like mm, no <laughs> and so there's actually some good places in detroit um in a place okay. uh, sure. called mexican town there's some great trucks but there is the best, my favorite place in Detroit is a place called Imperial. It's yeah. in a little town called Ferndale and they have Papa, a taco called Papa Con Rojas. It is mm. a, it is a chorizo and potato. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, the, the dusty Mexican cheese that they, uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. that is That's without awesome. question the best taco. <laughs> All right. By hook or by crook, how do I get the recipe? Just go ahead and share it. Oh, oh, um, the <laughs> atheism cure salsa recipe. Yeah, you get is, is it still a secret? I will or? send you a PDF. Oh my of goodness! The recipe. Okay. The two of you oh my as goodness. a gift for having. Oh my you. gosh, that's crazy! <laughs> and, but I, I can't put it out over the. I understand. <laughs> I, I understand. I and I will. I will do the same. I will not share it. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, but uh, I will pass along where we got it. Yeah, from. It, it's a lot of chopping. Okay, a lot of hand chopping of vegetables. Um, I'm not scared. Not a blended, not a cooked salsa. It's just okay. Fresh chopped, uh, and it's so good. <laughs> that's amazing. Hey, where can people uh, where can people find you, Kenneth? If people want. Oh, okay, yeah. So um, they uh, Ken K E N T A N N E R Ken Tanner, all lowercase. That's on Instagram. Okay. Um, they can put uh, my name in uh, Kenneth Tanner into Facebook. Um, I think the image that pops up is me with a Detroit baseball cap on, um, <laughs> Tigers cap. All right. Um, and then I'm teaching in the larger picture. I'm teaching some children about a cross that I'm holding in my hand. So they can follow me on Facebook and and on Instagram. I'm not on Twitter much, but yeah, I'm I'm on Twitter too. Um, and then, you know, if they want to read some longer pieces, I write for Mockingbird, Christianity Today, for um, Br- Brad's Clarion Journal, for uh, Huffington Post, for Sojourners. And if they, they type my name in, 
with any of those publications, you know, all my, the articles that I write in those settings will show up. I'm also on medium. A lot of my long form writing okay. is all right. on medium. So I'll be sure to have that also on our website where we post the podcast so that they can click on all those things to find you through that as well. Thank you so much for being willing to, to come on and just kind of share your heart, man. That really blessed me. So I really appreciate that. Good Look times. Out. Yeah. Hey, it's been fun, man. Appreciate having you on grace and favor and blessing over your day. Good speaking to you. You too. Bye, Bless you, man. Blessings. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode. We hope it encouraged. Uh, we had a lot of fun making it. If you guys want to subscribe to this podcast, please do. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of them. Anywhere you might listen and, to podcasts. And leave a review. Leave a review. Yeah, if, that'd be especially great. Especially if it's a good review. We're just getting started, right? We don't want bad reviews. No. Also, if you want to follow us on uh, social media, um, you can go uh, to, uh, I know this man has a Twitter account. Uh, we both do. 160 followers. Nice. It's very active. It's about to skyrocket. Um, and if you want to find us uh, online, we're at afamilystory.org, afamilystory.org. Also, you can reach me there if you want to get a hold of us for any reason at uh, jason at afamilystory.org. We're excited that you guys are on this journey with us, and we look forward to releasing more content. Yep. Thanks. See you.